Section 19 of Lives of the Ancient Philosophers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lives of the Ancient Philosophers by Francois Fenelon. Plato. Plato, born in the first year of the 88th Olympiad, died in the first year of the 108th, aged 81 years. Plato, who from the sublimity of his doctrine is usually styled the divine, was born at Athens in the 88th Olympiad. His family was one of the most illustrious in Athens. On the side of his father, whose name was Aristo, he was descended from Codrus, and on that of his mother, Perition, from Solon. His own name was originally Aristocles, but his tall and muscular figure, his ample forehead, and broad shoulders procured him, as he approached to manhood, the surname of Plato, by which he was afterwards known. It is related of him that whilst yet in the cradle, bees shed honey on his lips, which was looked on as a presage of that wonderful eloquence by which he afterwards rendered himself distinguished above all the rest of his countrymen. Poetry was the favorite study of his youth. He composed some elegies and two tragedies, but as soon as he resolved to devote himself to philosophy, he condemned them all to the flames. When he was twenty years of age, his father presented him to Socrates, in order that his mind might be formed on the precepts of that philosopher. The night prior to the young man's introduction, Socrates dreamed that he carried a young swan in his bosom, which as soon as it had gained its plumes, spread its wings, and pouring forth all the while the sweetest notes with intrepid flights, gained the highest regions socrates felt persuaded that this dream referred to plato and regarded it as a presage of the unbounded fame which his pupil was one day destined to enjoy during the lifetime of socrates plato adhered implicitly to his doctrines but after his death he attached himself to cratylus who followed the opinions of heraclitus and to hermogenes who adopted those of parmenides at the age of twenty-eight plato went with the rest of the disciples of socrates to megara to study under euclid he went from that city to a green where he studied mathematics under theodorus he afterwards proceeded into italy to hear philolus archytas and tarentum and eurytius the three most famous pythagoreans of that time not contented however with what he learned from these celebrated teachers he travelled into egypt to profit by the instructions of the priests and doctors of that country and he had even intended to go so far as india but was prevented by the wars which raged at that time in asia on his return to athens after his wanderings he took up his residence in a part of the city called the academy an unhealthy situation which he purposely chose as likely to correct the plethoric excess of vigour which he at that time possessed the result proved as he had suspected he soon after his arrival contracted the garten agu which remained with him for a year and a half 
but he treated the disorder so judiciously by abstinence and proper regimen that he not only surmounted it but found his health afterwards much stronger and more settled than it had been before plato served at three several periods in the army the first at tanagra the second at corinth and the third at delos in which last expedition his party came off victorious he was also three times in sicily the first time he went out of curiosity to see mount etna and its volcanoes that he might form his own opinion respecting them he was at that period forty years of age dionysius the elder tyrant of sicily expressed a great desire to see him and he accordingly presented himself at the court of that prince but the freedom with which he delivered his sentiments respecting tyranny gave such offence that they would probably have cost him his life had not dion and aristomenes interceded for him dionysius however put him into the hands of polides the lacedaemonian ambassador with orders that he should be sold for a slave the ambassador accordingly took him to aegina and there sold him the inhabitants of that island had made a law whereby all athenians were prohibited from entering it on pain of death under cover of this law one charmander demanded that plato should be put to death but it being alleged by some who heard him that the law particularized men and not philosophers it was decreed that plato should be allowed the benefit of the distinction and they therefore contented themselves with his being sold as a slave happily for him anicorus of serene being then at aegina bought him for twenty minae and sent him back to athens in order to restore him to his friends polides the lacedaemonian who had sold him in the first instance was defeated by cabreus and afterwards perished at sea it is pretended that a demon declared to him that this fate was allotted to him as a punishment for the sufferings he had caused the philosopher plato dionysius the elder knowing that plato had returned to athens and fearing that he might revenge himself by speaking against him wrote to him with his own hand and even condescended to ask his pardon plato answered him that he might make himself perfectly easy on that head for that he was too much engrossed in the study of philosophy to have any time to think about him some of his enemies taunting him after this with being forsaken by dionysius it is plato replied he who has forsaken dionysius not dionysius who has forsaken plato in the reign of dionysius the younger plato went a second time to sicily in the hope of being able to persuade that tyrant to restore liberty to his fellow-citizens or at any rate to rule over them with gentleness but finding after a stay of four months that the tyrant so far from profiting by his lessons had banished dion and was walking in the same path of despotism that his father had trodden before him he returned to athens notwithstanding the earnest entreaties of dionysius who had much regard for him and did everything in his power to induce him to prolong his stay a third time plato was tempted to visit sicily in order to intercede with the tyrant for the return of dion and to entreat him to relinquish the sovereign power 
dionysius promised to accede to his request but broke his word and plato reproached him so warmly with it that his own life might have been forfeited to his sincerity had not archytas of tarentum sent out an ambassador with a vessel expressly to require his return to which dionysius not only acceded but furnished the vessel with all the stores necessary for the voyage plato now withdrew himself entirely to athens resolved never more to leave it he was received there with extraordinary marks of respect but though strongly pressed to take a part in the government he refused from a conviction that no salutary measures could be carried into effect amid the general depravity of manners which at that time prevailed nothing however can more strongly mark the high esteem in which he was held throughout greece than what happened to him at the olympic games he was received as a god descended from the skies and all the different nations of greece notwithstanding their avidity for spectacle and notwithstanding the magnificence of the olympic games which had attracted them from every quarter left the chariot races and the combats of the athleta solely engrossed by the pleasure of listening to a man of whom they had heard so many astonishing reports plato passed his life in celibacy and rigidly observed the rules of continence and decorum even in his youth such was his command over himself that he was never seen to laugh immoderately and he always retained so complete a mastery over his passions that he was never known to be angry a young man who had been educated by him returning home afterwards to his parents was so greatly surprised one day at seeing his father in a fit of rage that he could not help telling him that he had never witnessed anything of the kind in the house of plato the only time that plato ever found himself irritated was against a slave who had been guilty of a very serious fault and on that occasion he ordered that another person should correct him for i said he am not fit to do it myself being somewhat angry though naturally of a serious and contemplative turn of mind as aristotle informs us he yet possessed great mildness and even cheerfulness and was fond of indulging in innocent railleries he would sometimes advise xenocrates and dion whose dispositions he thought too austere to sacrifice to the graces in order to render their manners more conciliating he had many disciples among whom the most renowned was pensipius his nephew by potana his sister who had married eurymedon xenocrates of chalcedon and the celebrated aristotle theophrastus has also been reckoned among his auditors demosthenes likewise is said to have always acknowledged plato as his master when he had taken sanctuary from antipater archaeus being sent by that governor to seize him promised him his life if he would quit his place of refuge heaven forbid replied demosthenes that after hearing plato and xenocrates discourse on the immortality of the soul i should ever prefer an ignominious life to an honourable death two women have likewise been mentioned as disciples of plato one of them was lacima of mantinea and the other was axiotha of felicia 
both of whom used to wear the habit of males as being more suitable to the character of philosophers which they professed themselves to be so highly did plato estimate geometry and so necessary did he deem it in philosophy that he had this inscription written over the vestibule of the academy let no one enter here who is not skilled in geometry all the works of plato except his letters of which only twelve remain to us are composed in the form of dialogues these dialogues may be divided into three kinds in the first he refutes the sophists in the second he chiefly aims at the instruction of youth and in the third he addresses himself to those of mature age there is yet another distinction in these dialogues all that plato remarks in his own character in his letters his books concerning laws and in his eponymus he utters as his own peculiar and real opinions but all that he delivers in his dialogues under assumed names as those of socrates timius parmenides or zeno he gives only as probable without expressly warranting it as truth the sentiments which are put into the mouth of socrates however in these dialogues though exactly in the style and method which he followed in his disputations are not to be invariably regarded as the real sentiments of that philosopher for he himself on reading the dialogue entitled lysis on friendship could not refrain from charging plato with misrepresentation in it by exclaiming immortal gods this young man puts things into my mouth which never so much as entered my head the style of plato according to the testimony of his disciple aristotle preserved a proper medium between the elevation of poetry and the simplicity of prose to cicero it seemed so noble that he makes no scruple of declaring that were jupiter to converse in the language of mortals he would use no other phraseology than that of plato paniotius used to style him the homer of philosophers agreeing in so doing with the judgment passed upon him afterwards by quintilian who speaking of his eloquence terms it homeric and divine from the opinions of three other philosophers plato formed a system of doctrine for himself in physics and sensible objects he followed heraclitus in metaphysics and subjects of a purely intellectual nature he suffered himself to be guided by pythagoras in politics and morals he regarded socrates as superior to all others and took him for his exclusive model according to the account given by plutarch in the third chapter of his first book on the opinions of the philosophers plato acknowledged three first principles god matter idea god as the universal intelligence matter as a source or foundation of generation and corruption and idea as an incorporeal substance resident in the divine mind he acknowledged the world indeed to be the work of a god or creator but he did not by the term creation mean what is generally understood by the word he supposed that god only formed or built if we may so express it the world out of matter which had existed from all eternity 
so that he was in fact the creator of the world only in so far as he had broken up a chaotic mass and given form to what was before dead inactive matter as architects and masons raise edifices by cutting and arranging stones which before lay in shapeless masses it has been generally supposed that plato had some knowledge of the true god either from the light of his own reason or from the instruction he might have derived from the writers of the hebrews but it must at the same time be allowed that he was among those of whom st paul speaks when he says because that when they knew god they glorified him not as god neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened romans chapter one verse twenty one plato in fact established in his epinomis three ranks or classes of god superior inferior and intermediate according to him the superior gods dwell in the heavens and are so far elevated above the human race both by the excellence of their nature and by the place they inhabit that mankind can only have intercourse with them through the intervention of the intermediate gods whose habitations are in the air and whom he styles demons these demons act as ministers between the superior gods and the human race conveying the commands of the gods to man and the prayers and offerings of man to the gods each has his peculiar department allotted to him in the government of the world they likewise preside over oracles and divinations and by their agency all miracles are performed and all prodigies happen plato's notions respecting the secondary or intermediate gods were in all likelihood borrowed from the accounts of angels in holy writ of which it is probable he had some knowledge besides these he admits a third class of gods inferior to the second and whom he places in rivers contenting himself with qualifying them as demigods and giving them the power of influencing dreams and performing wonders in the same way as the intermediate gods he even maintains that the elements and every portion of the universe are full of these demigods who according to him sometimes made themselves visible to human beings and then again vanished from sight here then we probably have the original storehouse whence all the sylphs salamanders spirits and gnomes of the kabbalah have since issued plato moreover taught the doctrine of metapsychosis which he had adopted from pythagoras and remodelled afterwards according to his own view of the subject as may be seen in his dialogues entitled phaedrus phaedron timius etc notwithstanding the excellence of plato's dialogue on the immortality of the soul he has nevertheless fallen into great errors on the subject both with regard to the nature of the soul which he believed to be composed of two parts one spiritual the other corporeal and with respect to its origin teaching that souls were pre-existent and that they were derived from heaven to animate different bodies in succession and that after a limited period they would return to the source whence they came and whence they would again emanate in order to inform and direct different bodies 
thus presenting a continual rotation of defilement and purification and returns to heaven from earth and to earth from heaven plato further believed that these souls did not entirely forget what they had experienced in the different bodies which they had animated he therefore imagined that the knowledge they acquire is rather reminiscent of what they had learned than any knowledge new in itself and on this pretended reminiscence he founded his dogma of the pre-existent state of souls without however entering into a more minute examination of the opinions of this philosopher which even according to his own explanation of them are sufficiently obscure it may suffice to observe that his doctrines on many points evince so much novelty and sublimity that during his lifetime they gained him the epitaph of divine and caused him to be regarded almost as a god after his death an event which took place on the same day as his birth in the first year of the one hundred and eighth olympiad in the eighty-first year of his age End of section 19